Thanks. Busy schedule and everything, so thanks for the time. I appreciate uh, it. Pleasure to do it. Thanks for asking. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. So um, I wanted to sort of start off here by just just asking. This is now your this is your second time at it, right? This is your second time at it as secretary. How was it the second time compared to the first time? Well, I know it's a very general question, but you know, I mean, you were away for a little bit, and now you're yeah. back. So. No, it, it is a great question because I say often that um, you know, as much as I enjoy the department in the in the first phase, let's say, right? I was here through Governor Ridge and then Governor Rendell and, and at the end of 16 years said, you know, really it's time to do something else. Um, and what uh, wasn't sure at the moment sort of what that something else was. Ended up stepping into <coughs> DelVal you know, University as dean uh, in, a, in a setting that I had not been uh, part of and got indoctrinated into academia. Uh, but most important out of that whole exercise that I went through of, of immersion into higher ed was understanding uh, what students who were interested in agriculture were thinking and saying, mm -hmm. right? So when you listen to 17, 18, 19 year olds, think about, say, you know, here's my career aspiration, uh, and then try to help them realize that. Mm -hmm. I realized quickly that they saw the world differently than I saw. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and not wrong, right? But right. They, they, the influence of technology, the influence of food as the proxy for all ag topics. Mm -hmm. um, and then working with uh, companies, you know, to help find the right students for placement, whether it be on the extension. So that, that whole experience of four, four plus years, um, I come back, to answer your question, I come back uh, with a whole new appreciation for the contemporary issues of ag mm -hmm. not not the policy pieces we get locked into of big things you know we've got to worry about but those those you know the the the, um, the student view of what the future looks like for mm -hmm. ag so I try to carry that back in into the second term mm -hmm. and uh, I think that's been been most important uh, to me is just that sensitivity to how the um, public, using that microcosm of the college campus as the public, how they viewed uh, what we were doing, mm -hmm. and it was pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, the extended issues around animal care and animal welfare, uh, the issues of food and food ingredients, and uh, hunger and environmental issues. So I tried to bring that <laughs> back into a second term. Uh, because I didn't, I didn't, you know, you leave here thinking this is it. I mean, this mm -hmm. is, I had a great opportunity in public service, uh, never thinking you have a chance to do it again. Yeah. Right? And then you get a call and say, would you consider? And um, you pause, right? <laughs> because you, you've made a transition, uh, but it was so appealing uh, after talking to the governor that uh, and we got in this great conversation about his Peace Corps experience. And um, I'd ask him a very, what I thought was a very simple question about what he thought of agriculture just because it wasn't a campaign issue. Mm -hmm. And um, did, did you know Tom Wolf then before you began? I had met him okay. uh, prior because he was uh, always a friend of um, Harris Wofford, right. who I'd worked with, and they were both returned Peace Corps volunteers. Yeah, late senator. Late senator, right. correct. Uh, and Tom Wolf was, you know, helpful to us then. And then I met him briefly, you know, he was uh, Revenue Secretary for uh, Governor Casey. Mm -hmm. 
didn't work together a lot. So there a little bit of contact, mm -hmm. but ended up in this great conversation about um, his vision for sort of Pennsylvania. And when I asked him about yeah, how, how, how he views agriculture, he gave this great sort of answer that it's both a, a natural resource and an economic resource. And, and I mean, you couldn't have you know given a more uh, you know concise sort of answer to what it is that we do, right? the same time encapsulates the challenges mm -hmm. that we have and that put us on this trail of talking about food and the interest of you know both of the economic uh, side so it's a long answer to say I, I came back uh, with with sort of fresh eyes and mm -hmm. perspective and at the same time um, uh, enthusiastic about sort of what the CEO of the Commonwealth was thinking mm -hmm. and and you see threads of that through our work here in the last couple of years, particularly in the Farm Bill. Right. Yeah. And I was going to say, speaking of enthusiasm, yeah. you must be really enthusiastic about the Farm Bill that was just signed in. It has been signed into law, am I correct? Yes, yeah, so it is signed signed into law uh, on, on July the 1st. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's, uh, I'm, I'm you know, humbled by it. And when you think about where the conversation started a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. you know, all the, the, the preface work that was done to actually get to the point of saying what is it we need and then navigate a public process with the House and the Senate and everybody having an opinion right and having it intact uh, at the end of <coughs> that whole very public process is amazing to me and everything that we had asked for on the front side we got mm -hmm. uh, slight modifications here and there right but to have that um, in, in place um, the way we envision it, uh, I think, is a, is a testament to the credibility of the request to, to begin with, mm -hmm. right? And everything there had a direct link back to what we, we found in the Ag Impact Study and the recommendations that came out of the Fox School of Business. Mm -hmm. And I've said many times that in the absence of that sort of work, simply showing up asking for $24 million of things, yeah. I don't think would have given us, well, I know, it wouldn't have given us the result. Right. right, and so when folks would say, "Well, how did you arrive at this business <laughs> need?" You know, that you've identified in the farm bill. Well, it's predicated on what we identified. It's the life experiences of the last three years of dairy, mm -hmm. and the experiences of dairy producers trying to figure out a business plan. It's the Center for Dairy Excellence and their survey and confirmation that 17% of the dairies uh, that responded had a business plan. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, all of those things contributed to you know, it being where we are. So mm -hmm. um, it's, it is the most comprehensive investment in ag in my 20 years. But as, as others have pointed out, it's, it's well beyond. It's in almost in, in the last generation. Mm -hmm. We've done disaster bills. We've done dairy you know, uh, farmland preservation investments. We haven't done a comprehensive agricultural investment uh, type you know, package ever. Mm -hmm. uh, so, <coughs> yeah, so really excited about it. Now, let's, let's, um, I wanted to touch on the, the Dairy Future Commission, and uh, of course that was one of the centerpieces of this. Um, I guess my question is, you know, what makes you confident that uh, this mission, that this commission is going to come up with the ideas mm -hmm. that will truly affect dairy farmers in a positive way? Yeah, it's a great question, right? So we we spent a lot of time, um, you know, thinking about the uh, 
uh, both the need for the commission, the, the, the makeup of the commission, the charge to the commission. And I had a very active conversation with Senator Corman, who was the champion, uh, legislator uh, champion of that. And I think after, you know, thinking it through, because we, we were at one point fairly confident that we have our arms around what we need to do, right? We spent three years either in a study, in the development plan, the investment program, what else do you need to say um, and do? <laughs> what we realized, uh, a couple of things. One is uh, that even with all of the work that's been done, there, there is still a significant amount of work um, uh, to address this continued slide. Mm -hmm in cow numbers, farm numbers, and um, you know, the, just, just the econometric stuff around PA Dairy. Uh, I think the investment program that we unveiled last year revealed uh, something really important, um, and that is, while we spent a lot of time thinking about major dairy investments, right, dairy processing plants and infrastructure, the answer, quite frankly, has found more farm-level infrastructure. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we saw in the Dairy Investment Program. And I think that's one of those pieces that we need to talk about the commission. That future piece is, what do you need to do to, uh, to, to help encourage and spawn the on-farm, direct farm sale opportunities for, uh, for dairy? Mm -hmm. um, so I think, <laughs> excuse me, I think the commission uh, does a couple of things for us. One, it builds on what we've already done, and I, I want to be sure that we don't go back, mm -hmm. right? I think the, we understand the landscape. Central question, uh, twofold. One uh, is the competitive footing of Pennsylvania dairy farms and, and their, you know, their f competitive footing. Uh, and two is the competitive footing of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. and, and looking at wh where we go, I think they're the two key points. If you're still at uh, in a herd average um, in cost production that is, you know, <coughs> several dollars, and we've got a lot of them in Pennsylvania, uh, I don't know what the right policy is that gets you into a competitive position um, unless you change, you know, the individual operations. So uh, they're the kinds of things I think we look at the commission to focus on. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think the commission's going to mean in terms of the makeup of the commission, you know? What's the makeup of the commission going to be mm -hmm. in terms of membership? Yeah, so it's prescribed uh, in, in the act. Uh, uh, it, it, it has producers mm -hmm. uh, that you know, are appointed by you know, members of the House and Senate mm -hmm. uh, <coughs> leadership. Uh, it has you know, representation from uh, five cabinet secretaries within the executive branch, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is important. Mm -hmm. It has the, um, you know, the stakeholders uh, in, in a broad sense uh, that we, we would select some. Some of those would be selected by members, but it also <laughs> has membership of House and Senate Majority Minority Ag Committee chairs, mm -hmm. and everything we've done to this date uh, has been through the executive branch. Mm -hmm. Right, uh, administration has driven you know the the study and work with the center on. Development plan, and we've we've you know worked with the legislature a little bit to get <coughs> the funding for the investment. But at the end of the day, there hasn't been sort of this significant influence 
of what the legislative branch is thinking about dairy. I think that's the real value, right. is you now have executive and the legislative branch. Because it speaks to what else you need to do. Mm-hmm. There may be regulatory reforms, there could be further investments, there could be transition assistance for producers. There, there certainly ought to be some consideration of you know, additional market investments mm-hmm. uh, that go well beyond the $5 million. So that's where we would like to focus, right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> trying to get the um, commission to focus on the operative word is future in the title. Mm-hmm. What, what does that look like? Right. Getting the buy-in, getting thinking about investments. You know, I look at the competitor states of you know, Wisconsin and New Mexico and you know, California, New York, and they all have you know, a strategic plan around it. So I think having our plan built on the commission uh, <coughs> with a very uh, specific deliverable there, because we only have one year to do it. Right. The other the key, I think that's the, there's, there's a statement in that, right. in that, okay, you've got a good foundation, go to work and mm-hmm. come back with the recommendations in a year. So. We'll honor that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, <coughs> How much, you know, I, I guess, I guess no, I'm going to ask this in, in relation to the federal government, of course, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, most dairy farmers are in the federal milk order, are in, the, are in, the, are in that order. Um, you know, there's parts of Pennsylvania that are not in there. There are still some farmers who are independent. Um, so, I mean, how much in terms of, of pricing, besides the old order premium, obviously it helps, but how much in terms of, uh, in terms of pricing can the state step in and actually provide some sort of assistance to get that price up there? Or maybe maybe rephrase it this way, to at least provide some sort of, um, I guess you can say, some some consistency so that we don't have these, you know, the, these big valleys and milk prices that, uh, you know, seem to happen every three, four years. Right. This one was really long. Right. Yeah. So I, I think the, the, uh, you know, the federal government continues to have a significant role. Right, and I, I place more emphasis on the trade and extended trade agreements and the federal government's reach into and around the world as more important than a federal order system, mm-hmm. my view, right? A federal order system it was constructed to, to really deal with these classifications of milk and you know, to protect certain classes. I, I think that's part of our challenge, is that class of milk discussion is shifting rapidly. And when you start looking at the federal orders here in the Northeast versus the federal orders in the upper Midwest or the Southwest, you increasingly come to this conclusion that the differences that are in those federal orders are, are, are you know, minimized, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's, there's a federal order and it's important in, in that flow, but I think that's one of those issues long term of how to deal with it. The federal government's role in trade, trade negotiations, the reach in and around into markets, I think is most important. Secondly, the, the whole risk management discussion, and, and I've been an advocate for that for years, and dairy has been one of the last uh, sectors that you know, has been slow to adopt a risk management model on production and mitigating that risk on, on milk production. But that said, I think the new uh, uh, dairy uh, DMC program that the Farm Bill provides is a really good opportunity. So it has a role, federal government has a role. State, I think our, our you know, most important opportunity here is uh, is making sure that we're 
looking at the investments, right, that we need to make on the processing capacity to reflect the markets. So more plants or different kinds of plants? I, I think it's, it's, it's the on-farm direct market access for a lot of farmers uh, in Pennsylvania when you've got 13 million people and another 50 million people in the neighborhood. I think that's a differentiator for Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. uh, I think using to the full extent possible the port of Philadelphia, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that port access when 17 and growing to 20% of the total dairy production in the U.S. is export. Mm -hmm. And the major countries are ports of call into the port of Philadelphia, mm -hmm. but we're not putting any dairy product on those ships out is a strategic error, mm -hmm. right? And I think we need to get very smart about that. Mm -hmm coupled with, then you have to also have products that fit those international markets that's produced here, at least. Uh, so I, I think that is part of our state's contribution. We spent $200 million upgrading the Port of Philadelphia to, right? I think there are the things, and, and I tell the story often, that when we went around the state asking in the listening sessions as part of our Ag Impact, what are the assets, agricultural assets of Pennsylvania? You get the normal, it's, it's the land stuff. Not one single person identified the Port of Philadelphia as an asset to agriculture in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And I was struck by that. When you think about trade, if it's a billion, three hundred billion dollars worth of Pennsylvania agricultural products leave, leave here and go into an international market, but not one person said Port of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's, that's a wake-up call for us. But that's where we've made the investments as a state, we've got it here. Uh, so I think there are a lot of things we can do. It's not in the price support side. Mm -hmm. I think it's on the competitive footing of individual producers and um, in the investments both at farm and uh, at large. Um, and I, as pointed out by you know the many, I mean the regulatory environment is also a really critical piece of that. And what we do in terms of you know, the tax base, what you do in terms of the permitting process, what we do in terms of, you know, the, the regulatory oversight from food safety to, you know, to labor issues and so forth, all become part of that competitive footing mm -hmm. of PA dairies. Okay, great. So how about, how about this season? I know, you know, in many areas of the state, I guess uh, this area, I mean, it's pretty, been a pretty wet spring or was a pretty wet spring. Some other areas, you know, was wet and cold. I know just north of here in New York, I mean, they've had yeah. terrible times in some areas with prevented plantings. Um, what's your take on how on how the growing season is going so far? I mean, I know from people that I've talked to, it's a mixed bag. Lancaster County looks great. I mean, the corn is coming up in Lancaster County, soybeans are coming up, and and really, since Lancaster County is the heart, in my opinion, it's the heart of agriculture in the state. That's good yeah. to see. Yeah. But um, what have you been hearing, you know, from 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 producers in other parts of the state? Um, overall, give me your take on how, how the growing season is going right now. Yeah, I think the, um, you know, after the, the experience we had last year with, you know, being overwhelmed by rain and everyone said, boy, that's, sure hope that doesn't happen again. And, and, and then, you know, 12 months later, you find yourself in the exact position, um, you know, that you were trying to manage through last year. Uh, I, I'd say that the overall, uh, we're in fairly good shape, but there are some pockets of pain. Uh, the western part of PA uh, from the Allegheny Plateau west mm -hmm. I think has really suffered. It looks a lot like the west, uh, western part of the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, I was with uh, some producers and families last night uh, from the west uh, who were lamenting their challenge of forage, forage quality 
uh, late hay making. Uh, uh, beans are just now getting uh, in the ground, right? Right, uh, which is scary because you're, you're mid-July. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's a challenge. I mean, we've got acres that are not planted. Uh, we've got folks who are, you know, uh, not doing, you know, uh, second crop beans and are hopeful to get small grains in in the fall at the experience of last year. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we're challenged uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, have, you been, have you been, I was going to say, have you been in contact with, uh, I know FSA usually keeps these numbers, but have you been in contact with the state office of FSA as far as, you know, how many acres of, of uh, prevented plantings, how many acres we're going to see this year? Well, we, we, we are uh, in contact uh, with FSA. I don't know the acres, uh, the, the, the non-planted acres. Um, I do know through the uh, insurance agents, uh, again, their concern was you know, the change of policies from where folks were when they signed up in March and where they are at actual uh, has changed considerably, both in terms of uh, the, the non-planted acres, uh, so that's a piece of it, but also the shift from corn to soybean acres. Uh, and the decisions that folks are making because of how wet it is not to plant double crop beans. Mm -hmm. And you know, sort of interesting, right? Because I think everybody looking at the western part of the United States would say, put all the crop in the ground that you can get in the ground because there's not going to be crop in the west. But given our own weather challenge there, that hasn't, um, that hasn't been possible. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I think the other piece that, that is, uh, We'll know more about in a week or so is the quality of grain and the wheat. Mm -hmm. Exceptional quality coming in late June over the 4th of July. Got really hot there for a few days. Yeah, it was beautiful uh, grain. Last year there was a lot of complaints about you know, the quality of feed, feed wheat particularly um, because of molds and the vomitoxins and just general you know, uh, challenge with, with um, the mold because of all the rain. So the beautiful wheat coming into the mills, I think in the last sort of five, six days, there's a lot of wheat not off, mm -hmm. and that quality has dropped fast because of, you know, not much of the same we saw last year. So I think that's sure. going to be the other issue, sure. is quality. Sure. How much, you know, the fact that the, fact that the government has, has approved um, farmers plant cover crops, including corn silage and some of those prevented planted acres, and still get a prevented planted payment yeah. um, so long as it's harvested I believe, after September 1st, if not a little bit later than that. How much of a help do you think that will be to the, to the farmers here? Well, I think the, uh, I, I don't see it having a, a, a huge impact on the farm, farmers mm -hmm. uh, in PA. I, I think it will have an impact on um, you know, th those who are feeding livestock. Yeah, particularly dairy. Particularly dairy, right? Uh, I think that's going to be important. Uh, it will also be beneficial. Uh, you know, for for the grain markets, and, and we move so much grain out of the the west. So I think anything that gives us sort of another productive crop on acres that otherwise would be idle is a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole policy questions of you know does that you don't have to forfeit the payments pieces. I mean, I, I struggle with that, but I understand at the end of the day, I mean, if, if uh, just from a cash flow standpoint uh, and where the markets are, uh, that there's. Sometimes things you've got to do, you have to do some extraordinary things. This mm -hmm. is one of them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, great. So, uh, you know, of course, hemp is legal to grow in the state. Yeah. Um, you know, it's official, I guess. 
many farmers are trying their hand at it. Um, in fact, I'm actually following Brian Harnish. I don't know if you know who Brian Harnish is in Peckway. Mm-hmm. I'm actually following him all summer. Um, you know, my, my um, I tease with people down at Lancaster Farming that they're doing a great job with their hemp podcast, but I yes. also, you know, Eric Kerlock is a yeah. good friend of mine, but I also tell him that, you know, I'm going to be following a farmer to see what's really going on. <laughs> we tease each other about that. Yeah. But, um, but I guess, you know, my question is, um, you know, can you just tell me some things that, that the department um, is planning, you know, in order to either remove the unnecessary barriers for producers to actually get into this market? Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you think the potential is for this crop um, in terms of either CBD or fiber? Right. Those are the two, you know, end markets for this. Um, what's the potential in terms of CBD or fiber? Which one do you think has a, has a bigger potential? Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, I would say uh, we have uh, subscribed uh, fully to hemp being real. Uh, in that, we, we think it's it, we've rediscovered a crop that, that is central to Pennsylvania and, and really America, but particularly in Pennsylvania, right? Um, and all of the opportunities that come with it. And I think that sort of rediscovery is is a rare moment in uh, in agriculture where you can actually reset the terms of an old crop. Uh, and, and here you are, right? So I think we, we have, uh, from day one, I mean, really tried to be aggressive about industrial hemp. Uh, this is about first to market and, and who's in that marketplace and what we do in terms of, of research, what we do in terms of supply chains uh, is part of that. Uh, we're also taking full advantage of the academic uh, institutions and all of those extended assets of Pennsylvania to address the issues and opportunities of industrial hemp. We've moved from you know, 13 permits to 33 permits to 320 permits at 820 locations. Um, have taken off the caps of acreage restrictions, which was something that the uh, <laughs> producers wanted us to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, th- we think there's great opportunity there. Uh, importantly, to your question of the, 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 the restrictions that are embedded, uh, those restrictions are not restrictions that the state has placed. Yeah, more federal. Right? Yeah. They're more federal, yeah. and so it, we, we keep encouraging our friends at the USDA. We've submitted our state plan. They haven't been reviewed yet. They're going to issue the guidelines for 2020 growing years. So we feel like from that standpoint, let's get it positioned. Uh, there are some issues at the FDA in terms of their interpretation of CBDs and allowance of that have to be addressed. They have mm-hmm. to be. And I think that's the central question. We can grow it. We'll figure out the agronomic components. We'll figure out the supply chain. Uh, but you need to address this issue of the legality of right, CBDs and how that's, that's uh, listed. Uh, we think uh, that the... Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> off. We, we think the uh, the CBDs is certainly a market, mm-hmm. and and everybody I think is uh, half of the applications even last year, uh, in the uh, their application to us designated CBDs as sort of their primary interest in the research. That's the same I think this year, um, but we still don't have resolution with the FDA. Uh, so we think the fiber component is critical, and you know uh, all kinds of properties there that you know can products that you can develop from that mm-hmm. the the piece though that we think is even well the CBD issue these resolution uh, the opportunities for for uh, hemp seed and 
and feed. We, we think in a, in a state where 200 million livestock, poultry livestock, are here or move through here, that we think that's one of those really important opportunities for us that mm -hmm. uh, have, we have full access to at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, it needs it needs to have you know again the the feed value question in the in the certifications of that mm -hmm. because of, of uh, even consumption. Have you talked to the Wengers and the other feed mills? Are they yeah. on board with that? I mean, yes. Yeah. It, it rivals, in a protein standpoint, it mm -hmm. rivals uh, some of our primary crops. Uh, you know, so we think, you know, from a, a nutritive value, uh, it's important. We think from the yield, based on what you know, has happened in other parts of the world, and just looking to our neighbors in, in Canada, the yields are there. Um, so we think that's a really important piece of Pennsylvania's feeding uh, animal agriculture. Mm -hmm. Um, <coughs> so those three opportunities, I think, are, are key. What are we doing uh, otherwise? I mean, I think the, the hemp steering committee, what we realized uh, early on was a lot of people in this conversation have nothing to do with, with production agriculture, right? Who see other opportunities either in the manufacturing of product, the, um, the, the extended you know, product lines that mm -hmm. come off, it's everything from the advanced manufacturing at Lehigh University and the engineering department to looking at the, the construction in, in the engineered uh, building product side. Right. Right? Uh, so, I mean, all, all of that is on the table. And I think in the steering committee, we've tried to bring those folks to the table mm -hmm. to talk about, well, what are you doing? Uh, a lot of it's proprietary, we understand. But what do you need from us? I mean, what's the type of processing? Um, so I think there's a there's a wonderful opportunity for industrial hemp, and the key, f our our view, is to not allow this to uh, uh, you know, for agriculture to slip out of that conversation. Mm -hmm. Right? There's a lot of other people around it. Right. But we want to make sure that there's an opportunity for for farmers to actually be a beneficiary. Sure. Of the expanded hemp market, sure, right? sure, sure, and that's when I talk about it's rare to reset uh, a new old crop. Part of that reset is when we look at what's happened in other markets with products. Is the loss of the farmer's control in being a primary beneficiary? Sure, right, and that's that's where it's it's difficult to do. We're we're, we're realizing that, but we think it's part of what we need to to protect in part uh, what we need to try to you know, advocate for and the right policies around it. Um, there, there are simple things like uh, there's no uh, labeled sprays for insect control or wheat control on industrial hemp. Mm -hmm. right? you got to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, there's no um, controls on uh, the uh, genetic materials and we think that's a piece of our market right mm -hmm. having things that are proprietary to Pennsylvania Pennsylvania preferred hemp mm -hmm. would be important um, that's a something we're working on mm -hmm. uh, looking at the opportunities right now where you can use uh, hemp seed oil in products uh, and how to do that I mean that's that is currently approved by the FDA mm -hmm the hemp seed oil, right? right. Uh, that's different than the CBDs. Mm -hmm. Everybody's focused on the CBD. I think there's opportunity even in the hemp 
seed oil. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's legal today. Mm-hmm. So we have folks who are planning to infuse teas and they're infusing everything they can infuse with the seed oil. They want to do it with CBD, some are, not legally. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's their own issue. But right. uh, but I think, so I think it's, it's a great opportunity for Pennsylvania to, uh, you know, encourage production and uh, some have been um, a little anxious about the advocacy of the state for this just because of the unknowns with the FDA and what's sure. happening. But um, it's also clear that unless you get out early and set that stage, which we did two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to be quickly lost in this market. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like it sounds like you know from from your answer that uh, you know getting the existing agriculture infrastructure involved or having those people actually sold on this is going to be crucial. It's critical. I mean, I, I think especially on the feed side, particularly on the feed side, uh, and it's both the again that supply chain, right? Because uh, a lot of the types of uh, infrastructure you need currently exist. They simply are used for other pro- mm-hmm. other commodities and products. Um, so making sure that we're taking full advantage of that, but also asking those who own some of the infrastructure in the the feed seed side is to play an active role in addressing the issues of regulatory approvals. Right. So the AFCO, which is the you know, the national organization that oversees feed ingredients is we've got to go through approval process to gain their, the approval to use that as a label feed ingredient mm-hmm. uh, industrial hemp. So we need that work done. Mm-hmm. The Carolinas are doing that. <coughs> I thought I put my phone on silent. I did not. I apologize again. Go ahead. Now I put no. it on silent. So they, there's work being done, a little bit of Penn State, a lot being done in, I think it's in South Carolina, mm-hmm. poultry feed particularly. Um, so we, we're trying to encourage that through our, our steering committee is one of those gaps that we need to continue to fill. Sure. Right? Sure. Of um, the agronomic stuff, the supply chain, the genetic work, uh, the varietals. I mean, there was interesting, anybody who's looked at the first year and the second year, if you looked at the uh, the seed stock that came in and where it came from, the germination rates, uh, and then the experiences of growers, right? It's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. If you're taking product that's that's somewhere in China or Europe, Canada, in, in different temporal zones and mm-hmm. conditions, bring it into Pennsylvania, uh, not the same experience. Sure, right. sure, sure. How about how about the current? I hate I hate to say trade war, but um, you know the current issues with trade around the world, um, particularly with Mexico. If you can touch on that a little bit and uh, and touch on um, how it's impacting Pennsylvania right now. And uh, and you know touch on a little bit you know with with the with the issue in China, um, you know getting a resolution on that as soon as possible. Yeah. How do you think that will affect Pennsylvania? Yeah, well the uh, uh, you know, trade is is critical to Pennsylvania agriculture, and I, I describe sort of the USMCA as trading with Maryland and New York. Mm-hmm. If you're Pennsylvania, sure, right? Uh, you know, Canada and Mexico and that. North American corridor, it's that critical to us. And, and our largest, three largest markets are Canada, Mexico, and China. And they're all in the news. Uh, that's not a good thing, right? And so we're, we're uh, watching that closely. We are concerned. Uh, we've been surprised at the, um, <coughs> the stability with Canada and stability even with Mexico um, in terms of, of market access. Um, 
dairy is, is a key indicator there, and we were very concerned about what would happen. Uh, and we got a little bit of a shock, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and the the president was threatening some additional tariffs and escalating tariffs, and immediately some response in the marketplace around dairy to that. That has sort of now been subsided, but still sort of a worry. Uh, so I, th I think in those two countries, I mean, we're, we've got to get the U USMCA sort of approved. Mm -hmm. The China piece, uh, this is evolving. I think the China piece, particularly since it's our largest market for Pennsylvania hardwoods. Mm -hmm. And just in the last month, what has happened with those markets, uh, that market, China market for PA hardwoods, is, is disturbing mm -hmm. because we're seeing a, a very quick slide uh, in market access. You know, I didn't know that. I didn't know that China was the largest market for it's hardwoods. It's the single wow. 49 percent of Pennsylvania's hardwoods last year were, that were exported went to China. Well, wow. what are they being used for? Uh, it's it's the full spectrum. So it's it's the uh, it's everything from you know, wood stock for furniture to the fine furniture. It's the mm -hmm. flooring. It's the component pieces. Uh, it's all of that. So that, that market, and if you talk to the uh, hardwoods industry, strategically they went after the Chinese market about 10 years ago and grew it, and, and I think because of the quality of product that was delivered, that market has just continued to explode, coupled with the growth in domestic consumption and mm -hmm. housing, et cetera, in China. So that piece, uh, I would just say that when I look at all of the agricultural products of concern for Pennsylvania right now, uh, that hardwoods industry uh, for us in China is, is A on the list. What do corn and soybeans you think fall on that list? You know, since we're, we're a net importer on both corn and soybeans... Uh, and a lot of corn goes to livestock anyway, so... Uh, yeah, so we're, we're on the feeder side. I, I think that if there's a concern, <clears throat> you know, it's on the, on the pork, uh, pork product mm -hmm. access. It's, you know, the, the uh, unrealized opportunity around dairy in China that everybody was hoping for you know, several years ago. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's real, but until those negotiations are resolved, that market access on dairy is not gonna be there for us. Mm -hmm. That would be key for Pennsylvania. Uh, to my earlier point about the Port of Philadelphia again and what we produce and ship. But I think the, um, you know, the protein sources out like poultry and, and swine, uh, pork products, and then outbound uh, hardwoods, I think are the big issues with China. Mm -hmm. it, it needs it needs resolution quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, no no issue there. Um, mm -hmm. So because we built these markets, right? I think it's part of our challenge now is how we have you know, not throttled back on the production. We've simply expanded markets. And if you look you know, look out a little bit, I, mean, I think that concern of if these markets aren't opening to the same extent that they have been, or at least maintained, then you've got a very painful decision to make about how do you how do you bring that back into balance? Mm -hmm. and, and that's a question we've tried to avoid, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Dairy's a great example of that. I mean, don't, yeah. don't talk about limiting markets, find new markets. Right. And what we're up against now is you know, both the domestic market that is sort of that capacity, uh, and you've got an international market that you know, is that capacity unless you can grow that through some trade agreements. Mm -hmm. So we, we, need to, uh, we need to keep you know, encouraging our uh, the president and negotiators, but also Congress, to be sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. Do you talk to Sunny Perdue a lot? 
What's that? Do you talk to Sonny Purdue a lot? In the uh, not a lot. I mean, I, I, I'd say his team. I'll, okay. I'll put the USDA very active conversations with uh, his team from, mm -hmm. you know, those who are, are in the risk management side to conservation to uh, particularly Ted McKinney, who was the undersecretary on trade, talked to him quite a bit. A former colleague of, you know, in the NASDA organization and um, the same with uh, uh, undersecretary Eyeball. Mm -hmm. uh, Right, and some of the issues more there around the spotted lanternfly and the issues of African swine fever, but pretty active conversations. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of, this is going to be my last question: Is African swine fever? Um, I know that this has been. Um, I have colleagues in the Midwest, and that's really an issue over there, especially when you talk about the soybean market. It's really devastated the soybean market. I think a lot of farmers are really concerned about that. Um, you know. And there's also a concern that you know it could happen here that this yes. disease could happen here so um you know where is that i know a couple of years ago it was all about you know bird flu different types of bird flu and all that sort of thing but um what is your level of concern of african swine fever affecting pennsylvania producers um and and how is the state um, how do you think the state is positioned to be ready for that yeah uh high alert I mean, I, I think we, we were sensitized to this several months ago when the industry came to us. Uh, it was right after the, uh, I think it was the, the Iowa Pork Congress, you know, they ended up, they, they canceled, uh, you know, one of the, the uh, I think it was canceled the Congress, I forget all, of it, right, but there was, there was mm -hmm. like in March, this conclave uh, in, in the Midwest that was interrupted, right? right? And, and that was the moment when uh, it was clear that this wasn't simply about livestock density. It was about international travel to countries that were exposed and active in the African swine fever mm -hmm. and their residency in your state or past your state. And that was a really important uh, wake-up call for us because mm -hmm. when you're looking at international travel, the number of folks who are moving into the Asian market, right? I mean, just every day, right? <laughs> yeah. That exposure, uh, coupled with a, a robust swine industry, and particularly in PA, where you've got a lot of swine processing, right. is a combination that that we paid attention to. Mm -hmm. Out of that came restrictions or quarantine restrictions in place for movement of uh, swine. There are restrictions at the county fair level. We take a lot of heat over that. Uh, because people say, well, it's not in the United States. That is true. But if there's a lesson out of the uh, poultry industry and the high path AI is don't wait until it's here, mm -hmm. right? This is about preventive measures. So we have uh, put a quarantine in place. Uh, it requires, uh, you know, notifications. It requires, uh, uh, you know, the uh, uh, CVIs, the, the certificates of veterinary inspection for animals moving into the state. And around the state, so we have uh, task force. The, the Animal Health Diagnostic Commission has been the forefront of that. Uh, we're actively surveilling for uh, African swine fever. Mm -hmm. uh, we're dealing with things that are sensitive and complicated, like environmental impacts. In the event that you've got to, um, you know, uh, destroy. A swine herd. Mm -hmm. uh, if 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 you want the reality check, is to look at the YouTube yeah. videos and what yeah. they have to do in Vietnam yeah. and China, <laughs> right? And I've said to folks, yeah. I mean, that that's why we are hyper, uh, and why we're not waiting for you know the big uh, you know pork producing states or the national sure. pork producers 
counsel to make a move. Right. Um, Have you talked to your colleague in Iowa or talked have. to your colleague in North Carolina? I mean, yeah, those are the big places. Well, I think they, they, and I appreciate their view, and that is uh, to, to really have an effective uh, uh, response is that you need to have a federal response, right? Uh, I'm not disagreeing with that, but uh, again, back to the high path AI, the problem we had uh, several years ago is that states waited, and we're not going to wait. That's what the industry said to us: is don't wait. Mm -hmm. There are some, some, you know. You're talking about the actual integrators. I'm talking about the integrators. I'm talking about the processors. Mm -hmm. Talking about folks who who do the trucking and the transport of hogs in and out of Pennsylvania and up mm -hmm. and down and between countries. Right? Mm -hmm. Is don't wait. Mm -hmm. uh, put some things in place. And we've been careful. Right? The restrictions are such that it requires additional biosecurity. It requires a certification that a, a credentialed and certified veterinarian has actually looked at the health of those animals prior to transport and movement. Uh, it's saying to 4-Hers and FFA members, uh, you cannot co-mingle animals in different shows and then take those same animals to a different county or a different state. Right. If you enter as a terminal in a market show, it's terminal. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the way the fair rules are written. If you're a breeder show, do the breeder show separate from a market show so you don't have the co-mingling. There are things that we just think are good, solid biosecurity mm -hmm. that don't put the individual farms and the larger industry at risk. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what's in place. And we're, like every quarantine, I mean, you've got to work your way through, you know, the, the implementation and of that on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But I think the having industry come to us and say, hey, what do you think, um, <coughs> is a really important signal. It's not forced upon them. They have fully adopted this because they've said, we can't afford this. Mm -hmm. We cannot afford it in so many ways. Right. There's 4,000 employees just in the processing sector in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. 4,000. That's before you count every truck, and that's before you put the feed mills in, that's before right. you put, there's 4,000 people every day who wake up and say they're gonna work in pork processing. Um, so that, that's, it's again, some of these answers are longer, but trying to impart that, I think we've, in this case, taken the history of our high path haven influenza, you know, taking all the diagnostic capacity that we have within our paddles and our animal health commission, coupled with an industry that recognizes their own exposure and the importance of being in a major metropolitan area with a lot of international travel exposure, is that it's, it points us to do what you can, in fact, to the farm bill. Is that whole provision around the you know the disaster readiness and preparedness the central point mm -hmm. was born out of what happened a couple of years ago with high path AI? What mm -hmm. did you learn? Mm -hmm. uh, what we learned is you've got to do a lot of on farm you know, level biosecurity. Right. You better have a state plan. You better have the capacity to respond, and that's both from the personal protective equipment to the diagnostics to the environmental harm. So we've tried to pull that in. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's a matter of time, though, that we'll see swine fever sometime in this country? Uh, yeah, it's interesting that the, the industry has said to us it's not a matter of uh, if, it's when. When. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's a concern. Mm -hmm. And I think for us, uh, you know, given given the density, uh, the, the human population density and the hog density, <coughs> is what we do in those cases is, is uh, 
still uh, still unresolved because we have some issues of what to do with uh, disposal. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's the type of thing we want to be thinking about now versus at the, in the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. Well, my time is up. Is there anything you wanted to add, then? You've done a good job. You've covered uh, PA Ag and the weather and Farm Bill. And it's good. Thank you. Thank you.